This is the OK Outcast Podcast, your home for Oklahoma political intrigue and insight. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to OK Outcasts. I'm here with my co-host, Brittany, and I'm opening today just for fun, just to switch it up. How are you doing, Brittany? I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, fun switching things up a little bit in this Never Let Brittany Open a Podcast After Labor Day edition. <laughs> can't do it. Can't wear white and uh, can't let Brittany open. No, but that's okay. Um, well, how was uh, how was your Labor Day weekend? Well, not nearly as exciting as yours was i um you know had a good time cleaning some stuff up my wife put contact paper down in our pantry it looks really pretty it's a marble color had leftover contact paper because she did it upstairs as well so um kind of tame compared to yours i imagine so how was the the road trip the epic road trip was amazing. We uh, we did over 4,000 miles in uh, about seven days. Uh, we got to go, we went down through Virginia, um, checked out the state capitol in Richmond, shot up to D.C., went through Dover, Delaware, Annapolis, Maryland up to uh we went through philadelphia on the way to trenton new jersey went up through new york city then on into hartford and providence and then went up to concord new hampshire over to augusta maine uh, did some camping out in maine and went and climbed a mountain in Acadia National Park right there on the coast of Maine. And uh, then we drove on back through Montpelier, Vermont, then headed down through Albany, New York, went to visit a friend and colleague who's a law professor at Cornell over in Ithaca. Then we shot down and hit the state capitol in Harrisburg, PA, and shot back across uh, Ohio and Indiana and back to Minnesota. So you didn't get any contact paper at all laid out on your shelves? No, I'm afraid there was not much home improvement going on whilst uh, on our road trip. <laughs> but uh, um, it did provide me some interesting time. Um well, first off, I want to point out that while my husband and I aren't huge fans of big populated areas, we were pleasantly surprised by Providence, Rhode Island. That was probably our favorite northeastern city that we went through. There was just kind of an attitude in the atmosphere there of the people of Providence really just kind of don't take themselves too seriously and kind of know who they are and aren't trying to be anything different than that. And there was a really funny spot. I'll, I'll post the picture later on our social media. Um, somebody had spray painted the word fart on the sidewalk directly in front of the state capitol. 
But, you know, to make sure no matter which direction you're coming from, you could read this appropriately, they then reversed it and wrote fart going the other direction just on the other side of the curb. So whether approaching, you know, from from the capital or going to the capital, you could properly read their graffiti of fart. <laughs> I wildly disagree with that graffiti. Um, <laughs> I, defacing the capital of any state is egregious. It was Not the side. It was the sidewalk. <laughs> um, well, it, as long as people weren't using flagpoles to stab their way into windows um, or smearing feces on the wall, <laughs> I suppose art is a just a rather juvenile thing <laughs> and can be solved with a power washer. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, we we thought it was funny and kind of emblematic of just how the people of Providence are just that we we think they're kind of like the New Zealanders. They're just uh, they're just chill, doing their thing, and they don't take themselves too seriously. And we kind of liked that. Well, you mentioned you were in the District of Columbia, and we had a discussion about this. Now, my wife and I have both spent uh, a significant amount of time in the District of Columbia. We've been to the Library of Congress. Uh, we've been to, I've been to the White House. We've both been to Old Ebbets, but on different occasions. Um, you know, just, there's so much to see. The Jefferson Memorial, I know the Lincoln Memorial gets more cred. But uh, the Jefferson Memorial, for my money, is the most beautiful memorial. And, of course, the Washington Monument, um, our nation's dick. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, as I mean, we this trip was more about, you know, knocking some things off our list. Um, mm -hmm. We've kind of spent the last 10 years just really trying to thoroughly explore the country and you know as of our the end of this trip we've now been to all 48 of the contiguous states and we've been to 45 of the state capitals and we've now been to the nation's capital we did stop at the u.s capital briefly um we didn't go on a tour or anything but we did stop there and get a couple pictures and we did see the Jefferson Memorial as, as we came in. And obviously you can't miss the Washington Monument since, you know, it's kind of designed to really stand out in the skyline there. Um, mm -hmm. Did you know that you can't build a building higher than the top of the Capitol in D.C.? I did, and I, you know, that's specifically so that the U.S. Capitol and the Washington Monument are the things that really stand out as you're driving in. So I, I think that's really cool. It makes D.C. a really interesting city out there. I think so too. Um, I think I've told you this. I, I can't remember if I have or not, but I actually went to an escape room in D.C. Oh no, I don't know if you have told me that. That sounds kind of cool. Yeah, I was, uh, the group I was working with back when I was doing pension stuff, um, the national group had put together a team building exercise of all the state coordinators. And so we 
did the escape room, and it was really fun. Uh, I didn't expect it to be, but um, we were all wasted because we had just been at this excellent Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. And uh, so you had a bunch of politicos going into a room um, and trying to solve a puzzle, essentially, and it was hilarious. We did <laughs> solve the puzzle, which was like an Indiana Jones theme, in about, uh, I, we had, I think, two minutes remaining on the clock, but we got through the finish line. Hey, that, that's what matters. You know, you, you, you accomplished it, and... To have that many egos in a room and be able to, to set them aside and work together, that's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, everybody figured out their role, and we accomplished it. So, um, yeah, it's fun when people can work together, which kind of segues in a little bit here. And I know we need to get back to your road trip because you need to talk about the political side of it. Uh, yeah, but, why don't you go ahead with your thing here? Um, okay. Yeah. So, okay, so, for sure. So, um, both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have wildly different problems, but they are also similar. Uh, with the Democrats... The infighting is like throwing beanie babies at each other. When Republicans want to take leadership, you know, when Kennedy went against McCall, it was knives out. So uh, you're dealing with one party that is infighting with, like, Nerf swords and the other one that's fighting with samurai swords. Um. And that's my analysis. But I want to get to your political analysis for this awesome road trip you went on. Yeah, so um, this trip did afford me a good amount of time in a couple of the competitive states for the U.S. Senate. And I spent a good amount of time driving down, um, driving around Ohio and Pennsylvania. Um, now in Ohio, uh, a big chunk of the drive through Ohio, we went, um, we went down along the southern border of Ohio, which is the northern border of Kentucky, uh, along the river there. Um, and we spent a good few hours driving along the river through, uh, rural Ohio. And one thing that really stood out to me was I did see quite a few yard signs for Tim Ryan, the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate there in Ohio. Um, I even saw a couple of Tim Ryan signs at, you know, houses that were right next to um, some houses with a lot of Trump uh, 2024 flags and stuff. So it seemed that Tim Ryan definitely is connecting with the rural folks of Ohio, so that I think bodes well for Democrats in that Senate seat. 
Oh, I will say, Brittany, yard signs do not vote. They don't, but they can give you an idea of whether people are proud or afraid to support their candidate in their area. And, you know, seeing people in very Trumpy areas not being scared to put up their Tim Ryan signs, I felt kind of showed that there was a certain attitude of like, yeah, Tim Ryan's with us. Um, well, I, I would I would point out like the Hillary Clinton v. Um, uh, now the name's escaping me. Bernie Sanders. Um, a lot of Hillary supporters, of which I was one, were afraid to speak our minds on social media or put out signs because the Bernie people were so vehemently angry. So yeah. It was almost useless. Well, and then, you know, similarly, I think in some of these Trumpy areas from what I've seen, you know, you typically just don't see Democratic signs at all in these areas in my travels. And so to me, it just looked it looked good to see like, oh, here's some rural folks along the Ohio River, you know, in Appalachia, not not really afraid to show their support for a Democrat. And I think that's important. Um, and you I mean that does speak to my previous point? Like, uh, you know, that's Democrats uniting there. That's important. Um, Certainly, and it, it shows the power of what can happen when you have the unity of a party. So um, now we could talk about the two-party system for days, but. Uh, I, I think that we uh, have got to come together as a nation. And, you know, that kind of brings us to the point of what our president, Mr. Joe Biden, has accomplished. That, um, that is a good segue. Um, real quick, before we do move on to that, uh, in Pennsylvania... The only Dr. Oz signs that I saw were in, on billboards around the Philadelphia area, and um, I didn't see any real organic support for Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, and we drove through a lot of rural Pennsylvania, going from Ithaca to Harrisburg on a lot of back roads. And uh, I saw almost nothing Dr. Oz related out in central PA. So not real turf? No. Um, but yeah, now let's move on to President Biden, who, you know, he's gotten a lot of flack from the left. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I think were on the wish list that um, a lot of people hoped would get done in the in the first two years of his presidency. But, you know, considering the lay of the land, Democrats had just that slim one seat majority in the in the U.S. Senate due to the Kamala Harris VP tiebreaker vote. So basically a 50 50 Senate. Um, well, you know. kind of 51, but yeah. Yeah. Um, in a in a Senate where traditionally you've needed sixty votes to get big stuff through, um, unless you know, it's just purely fiscal. Sure, sure. Um, 
But that, you know, but that despite all that, and despite, you know, the tough lay of the land, I think President Biden has deftly used his understanding of who Democrats can work with in the Senate on the Republican side and his built-in relationships from his years in the Senate to be able to uh, get some really big stuff done. I mean, we just saw the Inflation Reduction Act was passed in the last month, the the CHIPS Act to encourage manufacturing of our microchips in the United States was just passed in the last couple months. Uh, just before... Hey, but, but, but Brittany, will, will that make like me getting like my Pringles a little cheaper, the CHIPS Act? Um, no. No, it's it's okay. about semiconductors, microchips, okay. not not potato chips. Oh, <laughs> uh, but you know, and I've already started to see some headlines of some big investments in American manufacturing because of these policies. I saw um, Honda and LG just announced a joint venture of. Uh, over nearly $5 billion of investment to build a new microchip factory in the middle of the United States. So that's going to bring lots of good-paying jobs and high-tech manufacturing jobs to the middle of America. Um, And to be able to get these things done in such a divided Senate and with a, a Republican Party that seemed pretty hell-bent on, you know, just, you know, standing in the way of his presidency, I think it speaks well to what all he's accomplished and that Democrats overall, despite the infighting, have been able to come together and pull the votes together and get some big things done. And I think that there's a lot that Democratic voters and the Democratic Party should be proud of and should run, you know, strongly by Biden's side moving forward. I would like to point out my only problem with that legislation is nobody has used the term microchips since Gore ran for president. Um, yeah, I think they, now they just call them chips or processors. Um, but, RAM, diodes. And then, um, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act what a brilliant maneuver there to basically take the parts of the Build Back Better bill that couldn't get passed when it was being branded as Build Back Better, pair them with a couple of policies intended to help reduce inflation, and rename it the Inflation Reduction Act in an election year where inflation has been one of the biggest issues that voters have been concerned about, and actually get it done. Um, no, it's absolutely impressive, and uh, I mean, we've both been to the grocery store or the gas station. I, I mean, bought lots of gas. Spend... <laughs> uh, yeah, how many gas stations did you have to hit up on your journey? Quite a few. I didn't keep track, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd say I hit at least one in just about every state we visited, except in the Northeast, where the... Uh, um, where the states are so small and close together. We actually figured out when we were driving through Rhode Island 
um, that you could fit three Rhode Islands in our St. Louis County, Minnesota. <laughs> yes. Um, um. Apologies for the gunshots in the background. Um, sounds like my husband is out shooting at the moment. Uh, doing uh, I, doing some target practice. I can't actually hear it. Maybe it'll show up on your end. Um, <laughs> so, while we're on the subject of national politics, let's talk about Florida. Because you always got to talk about Florida. Florida. Florida man. As Florida a, woman. <laughs> there's, a, there's a funny video um, of... Uh, that I found on YouTube some months back of Fred Armisen doing funny accents from the different states. And he, he points out that the, that the Florida man accent that you, that Florida goes from being a three syllable word to a two syllable word, Florida, Florida, Florida. <laughs> not Florida, um, Florida. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, let's talk about a special master, because I'm Chris Masterman, so I have a vested interest in this. Um, you're not Chris, Chris Special Masterman, you're just Chris Masterman, though. <laughs> I, I mean, uh... We could change your middle name. I know how to do name changes, let me know. <laughs> uh, you would be the expert there. Uh, but I like Justin. I like being, uh... KJ. KJ? Uh, yeah, we have a whole radio station here about it. But, so, this judge is being a bit obstinate, is she not? Yeah, um, for, you know, this, this one, um, so for those of you who don't know, um, former President Trump, um, after having those documents seized at Mar-a-Lago, um, filed uh, a motion with the court to try and have a basically a referee or what's called a special master appointed to review the seized documents to to confirm that you know they were properly seized and make sure nothing that might be attorney client privilege documents or he even made the argument of executive privilege documents, which that doesn't even make sense. But um, basically to have somebody appointed to slow this process down and get somebody that's not part of the prosecution to review the documents that were seized. Now, the judge they drew in this process is a judge that uh, Trump appointed literally in uh like january of 2021 on his way out the door um so does uh does the florida court system run on a wheel system to where like i know in some states attorneys can kind of buy for the a different judge if they the, want a different one so this is in the federal system and it's in the, i think the southern district of florida and in this particular case, it it's a randomly assigned judge in, in any kind of federal case. And it is kind of a wheel system, like, you know, the, the random generator knows kind of how many cases each judge has. And 
you know, it randomly it randomly picks one and keeps them all equal, basically. Um, but in that kind of case, the federal government could have made a motion for this judge to recuse herself um, based on the circumstances of, of her becoming a judge. Um, she's a very young judge, very wet behind the ears. Um, and honestly, her decision to appoint the special master didn't make a lot of sense because she did cite the executive privilege argument. But that would only apply to the sitting president. When you're no longer a sitting president, you don't have executive privilege any longer. And that privilege belongs to the current occupant of the White House, not to the previous occupant. And the Biden administration has made clear that they have no executive privilege argument to be made in this case. So the fact that this judge would cite executive privilege shows she's either just doesn't know what she's doing or she's making a bad decision to help somebody politically um, based on her political viewpoints rather than on the law. Um, pretty much every criminal defense attorney and former prosecutor who I've seen analyze this decision has been flabbergasted by it. Um, it's going to significantly slow down the government's work. They've got a few different options for how to proceed now, but, you know, this will throw a wrench in their ability to get this case moving quicker and get Trump indicted, uh, which really is all he cares about, is to just keep buying time, because the more time he can buy, the more he can muddy the waters by throwing shit out into the atmosphere and seeing what sticks is this a jury trial or is it just up to the judge we're not at even close to any jury trial stage at this point because there aren't even charges filed this is all just well, regarding I... regarding the search warrant itself and regarding what was seized and determining what should go to the government and what shouldn't so what circuit does this go to they inevitably have to appeal. Um, well, I don't... Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm a little tired and I'm not remembering right at the moment which specific circuit the Florida courts are in. I want to say they're in the Sixth Circuit, but I could be wrong. Um, I don't have all the federal circuits memorized by heart. Um, but yeah, I'm only familiar with the Ninth, so... I. I would say that the the what the government can do here is they can either appeal the whole decision and not even give the documents to the special master yet, but that could take months for the appellate court to actually hear all these arguments. Um, yeah, you would think they'd move it to the top of the docket, but... Uh... They, they don't have to, though, and so there's, you know, there's no guarantee that a, any appeal gets heard in any specific amount of time. You can move oh, to, that. to have it expedited, well. but yeah, you don't necessarily get much say over it. So what I, 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 I think their best option here is to go ahead and, and basically say, file something saying, hey... We're cool with letting the special master do their job in the meantime. 
But while the special master is reviewing this stuff, we want to appeal this specific point of how they're reviewing it. So, so, so don't what, what, don't slow down the special master doing their work while still saying you don't think they're they were appointed properly. And Brittany made an earlier reference to a Supreme Court or a referee, an appellate court referee or a, a court referee. And the reason they're similar is they have a similar job. So I don't know how it works in Minnesota, but in Oklahoma, if you have a referee uh, that's appointed by the Oklahoma Supreme Court, that referee essentially keeps all the huge amounts of boxes of paper from having to go before the justices, and they issue a report, usually about 20 to 100-page brief. Um, the referee in Oklahoma, I can't speak to other states, but that process basically allows the justices to get a summarization. Now, the the I, I don't know if this is the case in Florida, if the special master can um, actually, I, I mean, they're going to write some kind of report, I assume, or some kind of brief, because it obviously requires a lawyer, right? Yeah, so this will be a, a person who is a lawyer that's a, appointed as this position. Um, it's generally somebody not particularly you know connected to either the defense or the prosecution in this case it will be just a a neutral party who will review each document and determine what privileges might apply and whether it can or cannot be handed over to the prosecution and they will then so at, at the end they'll write a report saying you know i found that documents a b and c are not protected by privilege and they can be handed over and documents x y and z are protected by privilege and need to be held back and do those have to be read into evidence uh like do you need a witness to read those in or do they just look at them they just look at them. This this isn't an evidentiary ruling to determine whether they're valid evidence in, in future proceedings. It's just to determine whether they're even discoverable or seizable in the, in the first place. So, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, the Trump team is just trying to vie for time. Yeah, because the, wow. way, the way the Trump team sees it, if they buy enough time that any charges that come are after the midterms and say Republicans get a hold of the House of Representatives in the midterms, then they would have Congress start running hearings and interference to try to get in the way of what the courts are doing. And they want to turn this as political as possible and try to make it seem like any investigation by the by the Justice Department is merely Biden playing politics and trying to kneecap his opponent. And that's not what's going on here, but they just need to buy time to try to help make that their political angle. Well, they say justice is blind, and she certainly seems to be stumbling around right now. Um, yeah. But uh, speaking of justice, 
we have that wadded up ball of garbage that has washed up in New York that is being charged there. And uh, so there's this one argument that wad of garbage should not be, you know, there should be a double jeopardy issue. But there's not, is there? Because he was never charged the first time because Trump already pardoned him. But he uh, can still be tried in the state of New York. Yeah, so double jeopardy only applies, you know, like to one level of government. So if the state charges you for a crime and, you know, they lose the case and then try to go refile and do it all over again, that's double jeopardy. Um, but the state government and the federal government are just separate entities, and you can be guilty of things that are both state and federal crimes and be tried in both places. For example, um, you know, the our, our Oklahoma listeners will know this particular example quite well as, you know, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. Um, you know, they were charged and convicted in federal court first, but then the Oklahoma County DA, once all the federal proceedings were over with, then charged both of these guys with, you know, 168 counts of murder under state law. So they could, they were both tried and convicted at both levels. Um, now, obviously that you know, at that point, you're just doing it for peace of mind. You're not getting any additional punishment added. They were already sentenced to what they were going to be. You know, McVeigh yeah. getting the death penalty and Nichols getting life in prison. Um, but, you know, it was more for the peace of mind of, of the people of the state of Oklahoma to say, hey, you know, we we want to make sure we get our say in this as well and that you know, you're you're convicted under our laws also. We did a poll, and uh, it was about, do you like epic road trips? Do you like shorter road trips? Or would you rather stay at home? And, Britt, you've got those statistics. Oh, yeah, I do. Um, I will say I, what I recall is that the epic road trip... Um, seem to be the most popular um the the closer to home was a little bit less popular um let me pull the actual numbers up here so i'm not just talking out of my ass uh not oh, that's that important. not that you all mind that but you know <laughs> that's basically what we do here on this podcast no, we, well, we try to do some research. Um, uh, the Epic Journeys, 44%. Closer to Home, 22%. Either one, 22%. And neither, 11%. So I guess that's uh, that's somebody who just doesn't even want to go on any road trip. Um, so it sounds like there's at least, you know, 10% of you all who uh, just assume stay home altogether. <laughs> absolutely i can actually identify with that um but then again i have a really nice house and a really nice wife who um puts contact paper down in our cupboard while yeah. cleaning up the mouse poop so 
Uh, hey, my my cat did his job while we were away. Um, did not find any evidence of mouse poop in our RV after we returned home. So he did a good job in the week away of scaring any potential critters out of here. So we're happy about that. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of, I was thinking of doing maybe another poll. Tell me what you think about this, Brittany. You clean out your litter box every day, right? Yes, I scoop it daily. Okay, so we, in our house, only clean out our litter box once a week. We put a litter box liner in. We have a enclosed litter box and um, just refill all the poop pebbles, as we call them. And uh, I'm interested to think what our listeners think about the two different ideas. Would you rather clean out your litter box once a week or have to deal with it daily? Yeah, I can uh, I can throw that poll up on our Twitter later today after we drop the episode. I I'm interested to see. I'm sure we've got a lot of a lot of cat owner listeners. So yeah. Oh, and and hey, throw throw in a question if you want, cats, dogs, or other, and leave it as an open field. Um, because, I mean, I knew one woman when I was young. Uh, who owned a ferret. Yeah. Uh, um, a f- good friend of ours has uh, a tropical parrot. So, and, you know, lives in the, lives in an RV in the Minnesota winters and uh, does just fine. It's funny. Our friend was telling us he, he heats up his, his, the, his place to like, you know, 80 degrees all winter with the wood burning stove and, he said last winter the parrot was like had actually gotten to the point where it preferred the cooler part of the RV like it would fly to the other end of the RV where it was cooler and hang out there instead of in the tropically warm part. <laughs> that that's extraordinarily interesting. Yeah, it's uh, like it's a, it's like it's adapting to to Minnesota. <laughs> well, what I will say firmly here is well I can't talk about a lot of the things I'm doing in politics because they're secret right now what I can say is people that like animals I think tend to be better people yeah I would tend to agree with that but you know I don't want to paint with too broad a brush but you know, okay, I, I think fair. I think I do think, though, you know, if you look at our uh, our former twice impeached president who famously didn't like dogs or cats or anything, uh, he seemed to be a profoundly selfish, self-centered individual. So let's uh, maybe that says all we need to say. <laughs> it definitely does. And uh I don't care if you're a cat person, a dog person, a ferret person, a parrot person, or some other animal, like a snake. I think we have a mutual friend that likes snakes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, snakes aren't exactly my cup of tea, but hey, do what you're going to do. If you want to have an iguana, um, 
Yeah, I think there's just something that caring for another living being um, just provides you a level of empathy that, you know, makes it easier to be a fully functioning, you know, well-rounded adult. <laughs> I would tend to completely agree with you. But do you have any fun plans for the weekend, or are you guys just trying to... <laughs> get everything back together, get onto your new piece of land, uh, or... Yeah, I think, um, I think this weekend looks to be the weekend. We will probably be getting our RV up onto our new land, finally. Um, we, we decided to wait until we were done with our road trip so that our friend we've been staying near uh, could keep an eye on our cat for us while we were away. And uh, we did get our driveway installed just before we left, so we now have the ability to drive our RV into our piece of land now and, and get it there. So that looks like that's on the agenda, as well as uh, I will be watching the IndyCar series finale on Sunday on NBC from uh, Laguna Seca Racetrack, which is out in California. It has, um, it's kind of one of the more famous racetracks in the world. It has this turn that's called the corkscrew. That's basically like an S-curve that goes downhill at like a 45 degree angle and like drops like a couple hundred feet really quickly. And so you have to navigate this like twisty turn while going downhill and it's truly one of the more magnificent racetracks in the world. So I'm going to be excited to watch that. Um, want to give a quick shout out to IndyCar. Thank you for sending me the signed Joseph Newgarden hat. Um, that was a really neat treat to get. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's my weekend. What do you got on tap? Well... Hey, I want to remind everybody it is Star Trek Day. And um, if you're a Trekkie, then get on Paramount Plus. They are doing all kinds of stuff, interviews with people, and it's really, really cool. Um, uh, Brittany is not a huge Star Trek fan, but I am, and I am stoked. Also, the new Thor movie is out. And I'm not going to give any spoilers, but it's great. So I've heard it's good. I'm I'm gonna I'm looking forward. I'm gonna give that a chance probably here in the next couple weeks. So yeah, it's Disney Plus Day and Star Trek Day, depending on whether you want to do Disney Plus or uh, Paramount Plus or both. Do what you feel. Do it with your heart. Yeah, one one of these days we're gonna have to have a new you know, new streaming packages that come out that are similar to, to cable where you just subscribe to one package that has all of your Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, Peacock. Because, man, it is getting oh. annoying having all these different streaming services all competing with each other and having to have them all separately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we've been trying to find a show and, like... Oh, is it Netflix? Is it Hulu? Is it Paramount Plus? Is it Disney Plus? Is you know, like, where, where uh, is it Amazon? 
where does this exist? Yeah, uh, it's making it hard to have those kind of universal cultural moments together that, you know, everybody in the country can kind of watch the same show together. And I kind of miss some of that. So hopefully we figure this out in the coming years. <laughs> well, we'll leave it up to Lord Bezos. Well, this seems like a good place to say goodbye to our listeners this week. Um, we have a really fun fall in store for you guys. We're already talking about some of the things we're going to try and do in October. Uh, you may see some crossover opportunities. We're talking to some other local personalities. And uh, yeah, we've got some fun stuff lined up. It's election season's now going to be in full swing post-Labor Day. And uh, yeah, Tons of stuff to talk about, and we definitely look forward to bringing you more content. Well, let's do it to it. And Brittany, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, even though sometimes our conversations are contentious. Yeah, today it wasn't. I'm sure we'll get more contentious again moving forward. And uh, yeah, thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll be back next week. Adios, y'all. Adios. Adios.